Well, uh, last time that I spoke in Moody Spurn, um, we looked at the first five verses of the book of Ruth, and I'd like to pick up again just where we left off, verse six, and maybe we should just read the first five verses in case anyone uh, wasn't with us, and that will just remind us of the story so far. So I'm loud enough, am I? I'm, people can hear me okay, hopefully. Super. Okay, Ruth chapter one and verse one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Kylon. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Mahlon and Kylon also died, and Naomi was left um, without, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant each of you that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Luke said, Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. 
And uh, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So, so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Well, the first uh, chapters of Ruth, the first chapter of Ruth contains a number of themes, um, but, but I think one of the things that, that is obvious from uh, a reading of the chapter is that uh, each of the characters in it were faced with uh, the need to make decisions, all kinds of decisions. Would they stay or would they go was one of the biggest decisions, both before they left and even when they were there. And I guess decisions are very much a part of everyday life. We're faced with the choice of what subjects uh, we will study at school, what we'll do when we leave school, will we go into further study, will we go into employment, what kind of work will we get involved in. Then we're involved with, or we're faced with decisions around relationships, will we marry, will we remain single, will we rent a house, will we buy a house, what church will we attend, fellowship will we attend, and how involved will we get. So decisions are very much a, 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 part, and a part and parcel of life. Um, and the decisions that we take, I think, um, to a large extent, shape us and uh, they determine the kind of people that we're going to be in the direction that our lives take. And uh, I think we may want to blame things that have happened in our lives. And I think we'd have to acknowledge that sometimes things do happen and uh, those things do shape us and shape the, the direction that we take. But more often than not, uh, the issue is how have we reacted to those events because that determines the kind of people that we are more than the events themselves. Will we allow those events to be stumbling blocks or will we allow them to be stepping stones towards becoming a, a maturer Christian or um, a, 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 a less bitter person or whatever the, might, the, 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 the issue might be. Anyhow, uh, Elimelech and Naomi and their sons Kailon and Mahlon um, along with Ruth and Orpah were no different. They lived 3,000 years ago, and they were faced with a whole series of, of, of decisions. They had to decide, would they stay in Bethlehem and see out this famine, or would they go and live with the well-to-do pagans that lived on the eastern side of the River Jordan in the land of Moab? Uh, the two boys had to make decisions about who they would marry after the death of their father. Would they go and search for a wife among their own people back in Judah, or would they more marry Moabite girls who really didn't share their heart for Yahweh and the worship of Yahweh? Even the women in the story um, had to make decisions after the death of their husbands. Would they stay in Moab? Um, 
I guess Ruth and Orpah had to decide would they stay in Moab with their own people and their own religion, or would they emigrate with their mother-in-law and travel back with her to Judah and, and to Bethlehem? So decisions are a huge part of what happens in this chapter, and we need to think about the decisions that we make every day. We need to think about the long-term consequences of those decisions, the consequences for ourselves, the consequences for our children, and the consequences for the generations that are to come, because the consequences of the decisions that we make may be far better and far greater, bigger rather, and greater than we ever imagined them to be. So we need to make sure that we are making the right decisions and that we're going in the right direction, and I guess that we're going in a Godward direction. Well, I want to try and just look at uh, the three ladies in this section that runs from verses six, not quite to the end of the chapter, because I think we'll pick that up next time, but certainly just this decision about returning to Bethlehem. So Naomi's decision, then I want to look at Orpah's duplicity, um, and then finally, I, I want to think about Ruth's devotion. So those are the three areas that I want to camp on um, this morning. So first of all, Ruth's decision. So as we begin, or not Ruth, sorry, Naomi's decision. As we think about Naomi, um, it's like she takes one step forward, and, and yet at times you feel like she's taking one step back. And uh, so, so those are the two things that I want to just focus on in relation to Naomi. So she's living in Moab with the Moabites, but she's not from there. She's a, she's a stranger, an alien. She is a refugee, if you like. So she's far away from her homeland, separated from her own people, and she is separated, perhaps more importantly, from this land of promise that God had promised to Abraham and to his descendants. Now, in verse 6, it seems that Naomi receives the news that uh, God has visited his people in Bethlehem and that the famine has been eased and crops are beginning to grow on the field and uh, it seems that the good times have returned. And so she decides in receiving this news that she uh, will return to Bethlehem, to the land of promise, to the place where the tabernacle um, was to be accessed and where she could engage in the worship of the Lord and live amongst the Lord's people. She decided that she would leave the pagans of Moabite, of Moab, who worshiped the god Chemosh, and she would return to Judah and she would live amongst her own people. Now, it was a long road back, I think, for Naomi, um, and I admire the decision that she took. She couldn't change the decision that she uh, had made to leave Bethlehem in the first place. She couldn't really go back, wind back the clock, and make the decision all over again. And we don't really know if she how involved she was with her husband in the decision to leave? Was it something that they talked through? Or was it something that uh, he decided and basically announced to the family that, that they were leaving for, for Moab? The, the truth is we don't know the circumstances, but she couldn't do anything about the past. The only thing that Naomi could do now was to do something about the present and the future. And we can't live in the past, can we? We can't go back and change the past, but we can do something about now and about the future. And that's what she resolved that she was going to do. And it wouldn't be an easy journey for her to go to Bethlehem. People, embarrassing, I think, 
What would the people of Bethlehem think of her? Having left or forsaken the promised land and having lived now for at least 10 years and maybe longer with pagans and idolaters and idol worshippers, would she ever be welcomed back amongst her own people? And when she returned to Bethlehem, it seems that she was hardly recognized. Pain and sorrow were written upon her forehead. And uh, what about the embarrassment of having pagan daughters-in-law on tow? How would the people of Bethlehem, uh, the people of Judah, feel about her having allowed her sons to have married outside the covenant community? And maybe that's one of the reasons that she tried so hard to persuade them to go back to Bethlehem. Maybe she was embarrassed to bring them along with her. It was a long road home and it was a tough decision that Naomi made, but she decided that she'd been away from the Lord's people too long. And she decided that that's where she should be. She decided that she should be back amongst the Lord's people. And she took the decision uh, to return. And... Uh, if she hadn't returned uh, to the Lord's people and the place where God was worshipped, Ruth would never have met Boaz. And Boaz uh, would never, uh, they would never ha have had the son Obed. And, and uh, they would never, that Obed would, would never have become the grandfather of David. And the Savior would never have been born, at least the Savior as we know him. And, and so it's really important to see that God was in this move back. To, to Bethlehem. And the, the, the consequences of this decision are much bigger than we could ever have imagined. And yet all of it took place in the mind and heart of a woman who decided that she'd been away from the Lord's people and indeed from the place where God was worshipped long enough and it was time for her to go back. I don't know if you can identify with Naomi. Naomi. I, I wonder if you feel as if you've been away. Maybe you feel as if you've been away long enough the thought of coming back can be frightening and embarrassing, but it's a step worth taking um, because that's where you should be with the Lord's people and in the place where God is worshipped. And if you are away, you've been away too long and it's time for you to come back. Come back not just to the Lord's people, but to the Lord himself. Well, that's so far so good. She's made the decision uh, to return to her people. But then I want you to take a, take a look at Naomi taking a couple of steps backward. So Ruth and Orpah went with Naomi, it seems, part of the way on her journey back to Bethlehem from Moab. Um, verses 8 to 13, we're told that she stopped somewhere and tried to persuade her two daughters-in-law to turn back and go back to their mothers, to their families, and to everything that's familiar to them. Now, I, I, I think that uh, I think the writer tells us about this incident because he wants us to see how hopeless Naomi felt. In verse eleven, she says, "Turn back, my daughters. Why, why will you go with me? Have I a son in my womb?" Uh, that will become your husband one day. Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I'm too old to even have a husband. So I've no sons for you to marry. There's no point in coming with me. Now, in talking this way, she's obviously making reference to a custom in Israel where if a, 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 a man died and his widow um, was 
without children, then his brother or a close relative was obliged to marry uh, the, the widow of his dead brother and to have a family with her. And at least the oldest son would carry the name of her deceased husband. And so the name of that family would continue within Israel. And it's known as Leverite marriage. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 um, to 10. And Naomi's familiar with this provision in the law for uh, women that have lost their husbands for widows. And... Uh, but her sons are both dead and, and she doesn't know it would appear of any living relatives in her husband's family circle, at least as she, if she does know about Boaz, then she doesn't make any mention of him to these girls. She feels that she's got absolutely nothing to offer them but a life of poverty. And she feels it's absolutely pointless for them to try and remain faithful to her and to her family and to the names of uh, their husbands. She is convinced that all that lies ahead of these two girls, if they travel, travel with her, is pain and misery and poverty. Look at what she says in verse 13. She says, no, my daughters, for it's exceedingly bitter for, to me for your sake. The hand of the Lord has gone against me. Now, what Naomi is saying is that she feels jinxed. She feels the reason that she feels jinxed and it is her belief that God is against her. That's how low Naomi has uh, got. She, she feels that God is against. Don't come with me, girls, because God is against me. I'm the last person in the world that you want to be around. If you come with me, your life becomes tied up with mine. And perhaps the Lord will be against you just as he's against me. Now, I wonder what you think about Naomi's theology. Because I think many people might have said, well, the devil has attacked me and you need to stay away from me. But she doesn't say that. She says, she says that the Lord is against her. Somehow she feels that God has been in the events of her life and that it hasn't all happened by chance. Whatever the illness that took her husband, somehow she has a sense that God has been at work in the events of the story of her life. And if you look at verse 21, when she eventually arrived back in Bethlehem, it seems that um, Naomi had changed so much so that people scarcely recognized her. Sorrow and pain had engraved their lines on her forehead. Her hair was gray. Her head was bowed. She just wasn't the same Naomi that had left all those years earlier. And when they said to Naomi, is it you? She said, don't call me Naomi, which means sweet or pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because she feels like her life has been a bitter experience and she feels that God is, is against her. Now, I, I just want to stop and camp on that for a minute or two and say, I, I admire Naomi's honesty. At least she's real. She's, she, she doesn't pretend that she's not angry about all that has happened. She's at least being real. Um, you can't really begin to rebuild your life or your relationship with God until you acknowledge the reality of how you feel. But although Naomi feels as if God is against her, my question is this. Is God really against her? Hadn't God brought an end to the famine and opened up a way for her at last to return to Bethlehem? Wasn't God at work in Ruth's heart constraining her, already constraining her to stay with Naomi and support her in a way that would exceed 
the devotion that you might expect of a biological son or daughter. When they arrived back in Bethlehem, isn't it interesting that they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest, when they would be able to gather enough food to see the winter out and get themselves established in Bethlehem? Hasn't God, unknown to Naomi, preserved a relative called Boaz, who might just might perform the duty of a brother and marry Ruth and give this destitute family hope again? See, all around Naomi, even though she can't see it, there are tokens of God's love and care. And God is working out his purposes in the midst of her life, even though she doesn't see it. And even though she feels like God is against her, the truth is God is not against her. God is for this woman. God loves this woman with an unchanging, everlasting love. God's not against her. So it seems to me that it's possible to become so bitter that you can't see the rays of light peeping through the clouds. And when everything around us seems hopeless, somehow we need to find hope in God and hope in the promises of God. Because it's when the night is darkest and the star, that the stars will shine their brightest. Um, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. As a father pities his children, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. God loves Naomi. God is not against her. And God is not against you. No matter what is happening in, in your life, I, I want you to know that God is for you. And if you look, you'll see that there are rays of his light shining through the dark clouds. You'll see that there are tokens of his grace and his mercy and, and his love. I, I think Naomi has got this wrong. I don't think God is against her. I think God is for her in the same way that God is for you. Well, here's the second thing. So much about Naomi, she's trying to persuade these girls now to go home on the borders of Judah somewhere. And I want us to think about the two girls that were with her. First of all, the duplicity of Orpah. So she leaves the mother-in-law, and then finally she goes back to Moab. So she leaves her mother-in-law. It's quite a picture, isn't it, of Naomi and these two girls weeping, wailing loudly on the borders of, of, of Judah somewhere. Um, they might have been weeping for joy, I doubt it, uh, though. I, I think that these two girls have grown to love Naomi, and it seems to me that uh, mothers-in-law have got a fairly raw deal over the years. I doubt if they're um, weeping with joy because they're leaving their mother-in-law. I think they're really sad that they're leaving their mother-in-law because they love her, and I think she loves them. And there's a couple of things just to pick up on in terms of this relationship between well, Orpah in particular and, uh, and, and Naomi. This is a praying mother-in-law. The fact that Naomi held out no hope of ever being able to provide these girls with a husband from her family circle, of course, is a serious issue in the context of the first century, or in the context of the ancient world. Children were your only means of survival in the later years of your life. There's no pension. So if you don't have youngsters that can work and somehow support you, then really you're doomed to a life of poverty. So it's, it's clear that Naomi's heart is really heavy for these girls. She feels so jinxed um, that she stops and she does everything in her power to ask these girl, girls to go back to their parents. 
But she doesn't just plead with them, she prays for them. Verse 8, may the Lord deal kindly with you as he has dealt with the dead and with me. The word kindly is the word hesed. You might have heard of that word hesed. And it speaks of God's covenant faithfulness or his covenant steadfast love for his people. And that's her prayer for her daughters-in-law. She prays that they will experience God's steadfast love and faithfulness that the covenant God of Israel would not let them go, but would continue to watch over them. You see the compassion of Naomi for her daughter-in-law, Orpah, even though Orpah is about to leave her, she prays that the Lord will uh, shower these girls with his hesed love. The second thing is, this is a very tender-hearted mother-in-law. Verse 9, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. These girls lived when they lived, and because they lived when they lived, if they didn't find a husband, they would be in difficult circumstances. Of course, not everyone has to be married in the 21st century and, and all of that, but this is a different time and a different context. And so Naomi's praying that these girls will find a husband and will be able to have a family so that they will be cared for. She doesn't want them to experience the loneliness and the poverty that she sees ahead of them. And uh, it wasn't easy for her to pray that these girls would find a new husband to love them. Sometimes the temptation in the aftermath of tragedy is to become self-consumed and self-centered. And we don't want other people to have a life because we can't have one. Sometimes when you lose a married son or married daughter, it's, it, there's, the temptation is to become resentful of their spouse if they go on to marry again and build a new life with someone else. Because you're sad that your son or daughter has gone and, and, and you're, you resent the fact that the other people have been able to move on without them. But there's none of that in Naomi. She's not in any way self-centered. She wants the best for these girls. And she prays that somehow God will be gracious to them and give them a husband. Now, I've never been a father-in-law. It's probably facing me in the not too distant future. Um, I've never lost a married child and had to accept that their partner wanted to build a new life with someone else. I am not claiming to be an expert in any of these areas, but I think um, often about the, 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 the young people that my children will marry and uh, I can see the challenge that faces uh, in-laws. But I, I think the challenge is to follow Naomi's example and to be prayerful and to be generous and to be kind and to reach out with openness to those that God brings into our lives because it is possible to be quite the opposite. And I have seen that in the course of my life and ministry where uh, it wouldn't matter what a son-in-law or a daughter in law did they still would never be accepted but there's a there's a genuine warmth here which is a great example in Naomi well here's the second thing I want you to think about Orpah she travels back to uh, Moab now in traveling back to Moab she was traveling back to a place where they worship Chemosh and although Naomi wasn't aware of any living relatives in her husband's family 
wouldn't Orpah have been just as likely to have found a husband amongst the covenant people of Bethlehem as she would in Moab? And if she was going home to find a husband, couldn't she have found a husband amongst the people of Yahweh? Did she really need to go home to her own people and to her own gods? It seems to me that she chose the people of Moab over the people of Israel. And I have a sneaking suspicion that she also chose the gods of Moab over the God of Israel. I might be wrong about that, but that's how it seems to me. She definitely chose the people of Moab over the people of the covenant. She had been watching Naomi, listening to Naomi and her husband for years as they sat at the table. No doubt she would have uh, spoken with them. She had been exposed to a godly influence. She had uh, watched Naomi live out her faith in front of her, whatever about Elimelech, I don't know, but she certainly knew Naomi. And you, you get a sense that, yes, Naomi is disappointed and she is uh, wounded and she feels as if the Lord's against her. But you get a sense in the story that she's a genuine woman of faith. But Orpah, despite all of the privileges that she had, out of all of the people of Moab, only two girls lived in a home where Yahweh was worshipped, and she was one of them. Out of all of the people of Orpah, only two girls got to see a woman living out her faith in her home every day, and Orpah was one of them. But despite the instruction as they spoke about Yahweh, and as they spoke about the Lord, despite the instruction and despite the privileges of the influence that she was exposed to, she went back to her old gods and her old people, when she could have gone on with Naomi to Bethlehem. Now, I don't know what you think about that, but um, as I think about this, I, I see that there's a ton of people who have had the same kind of privileges and the same kind of instruction, grew up in Christian homes, Christian parents who weren't perfect, but who tried to set a good example, who tried to steer their family in the right way, and yet their kids chose to go in the opposite direction. And I wonder if you're listening and, and you feel a bit like that. And God is speaking to you now about turning the corner and going in the right direction, unlike Orpah. Well, the last thing is just Ruth. Two quick things. I want you to see her confession. Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye and off she went. Ruth clung to her. Um, and and And... Naomi had another go at trying to persuade Ruth to go back. I want you to notice that. There's no high-pressured evangelism here. Naomi says to her, listen, it's pointless you going forward with me. You might as well go back. Look at your sister-in-law has gone back. You may as well go back with her. Real pressure being put on Ruth to go back. And I don't quite know why, um, why, why Naomi is, is putting so much pressure on these girls to go back. But I, I wonder if she wants Ruth to be willing for the cost. No point in going forward full of expectations and getting to Bethlehem and discovering that you never meet someone to marry and you're destined to a life of poverty with this old woman called Naomi. So if she wants to go to Bethlehem, that's great, but it needs to be her choice and she needs to be really sure that this is what she wants to do. No high pressure here. But look at the response of, Naomi, of Ruth to Naomi. Um, she says, your God will be my God and your people will be my people. 
So no matter how much pressure Naomi puts on Ruth, Ruth is absolutely clear in her mind. She is not going back to paganism. Jehovah will be her God. And Jehovah's people or Yahweh's people will be her people. And uh, she doesn't want to live amongst the pagans of Moab anymore. Her future is among the people of God. A real confession, don't you think? This is a girl who knows what her heart wants. And what she wants is to be among the people of God. But not just words of real confession, but there's also words of friendship. Ruth's commitment to Naomi is just staggering. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if anything but death separates you and me. Beautiful friendship. What a commitment this girl makes to her mother-in-law. Don't ask me to leave you or to stop following you. It's the kind of commitment that a husband and wife make to each other, isn't it? Um, I don't think there's anything untoward. I think that this is just a commitment of friendship in this context. But it's a great example of the kind of commitment that should be made in our marriages and in our friendships. She doesn't want to go back. Don't ask me to stop following you because I'm not. Wherever you go, I'll go, she says. Doesn't matter what kind of place we're going to doesn't matter what kind of life we have in Bethlehem, no matter what we face, uh, you know, whether it's richer or poorer, whatever we face, I'm going to be your daughter-in-law and I'm going to be uh, a part of your family. And wherever you stay, I will stay. If we live in a tent, so be it. We live in a mansion. If you still own your house back in Bethlehem, then we'll live in that. But wherever you stay, I'll stay. And, and wherever you're buried, I'll be buried. Absolute commitment to um, Naomi and to her family. Well, it's a great thing to have a friend like this in your life, isn't it? I don't know if you've got a friend like that in your life. I hope those of you who are married have a friend like that in life. But uh, what about being a friend like that in, in someone else's life? That's a bigger challenge. We're all looking for that kind of friendship. But what about giving that kind of friendship? and kind of commitment. No matter where you take me, Lord, I'm going to be committed to this friendship. Well, three ladies, and all of them with huge, huge decisions to make, don't you think? And two girls in particular, two daughters-in-law who went in two very different directions. I wonder what direction you're going in. There's a story told about a Navy chaplain who stood with some of the sailors in Plymouth and uh, they were trying to argue with the chaplain, well, you don't know about the pressures that are on us, and that's why we're living the kind of lives that we're living in the Navy. And he was trying to plead with them to straighten up their lives. And they were saying, well, we can't really be blamed for what's happening to us or for the direction we're going. And then he pointed out to sea, and there were two ships moving along in opposite directions with their sails flapping in the wind. And one boat was traveling east and one boat was traveling west. And the chaplain said to them, one ship goes east and one ship goes west by the self-same wind that blows. It's the set of the sails and not the gales that determine which way they go. And so it is for us. It's not the gales that determine the direction we go. It is instead the set of our sails. And Ruth 
had her sails set for spending the rest of her life, life with God's people in Orpah, unfortunately went back to the people of Moab and no doubt to the gods of Moab, I am sure. I hope that you make the right decision as uh, you think about these two ladies in particular. So thanks for listening.